David, how are you? Good to see you. Good to see you, Rob. Once again. Once again. This is uh, four weeks in, but five episodes of class in. Yeah, that's right. We're we're past the halfway mark. Downhill from here. I know. Well, well, hopefully not downhill in terms of quality. No, no, no. Just in terms of getting through the um <laughs> through the series. It's it's weird to think that we're already you know well past the halfway mark. Yeah, it's gone gone so fast. Obviously, we're here today to talk about uh, episode five, Bravish Heart. But before we do, we do have some listener feedback, and uh, I think I might go first. This one is from Karina Richardson-McCoy. Karina is from the ACE group on Facebook, the Australian Class Enthusiast group that we've uh, given shout-outs to in the past. So uh, hello again, ACE people, and hello, Karina. Karina says, Thanks for the shout-out. So cool hearing my name on your podcast. Okay, so I think I agree with David. Didn't love Woo-hoo! it. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for that. Didn't, I'll take that. Didn't love it as much as the others, but I didn't hate it either. Obviously, we're talking about episode four here. Unlike the both of you, I actually really like the scene where Tanya and Mateus argued with Charlie. I like that we get to see that it's possible for them to have conversations about stuff that goes a bit deeper than how do we kill the alien this week? That there are different concepts of planet morality. I think I mentioned that as well myself. Uh, and that there are different concepts that maybe Charlie, who we've kind of been groomed to like and admire, isn't so perfect after all. He lied about the box. I think Mateus calling him out on that is normal. I also get why the idea of him having slaves would upset Tanya, particularly given British history, and that is a British school. And she did observe him issuing commands to Quill quite unpleasantly earlier on in the classroom, so it wasn't so out of nowhere for her to want to challenge him about that. The entire interaction actually gave Charlie more layers for me. It made him more interesting, and I loved it. I'm a high school teacher, so their high-handedness felt right. Something you mentioned. Uh, I think that was one that you mentioned, David. I'm glad you guys kind of explained what happened when April healed her mum. That was just downright confusing for me. Lol. Really looking forward to the next one. I'm really enjoying listening in. Well, that's really good feedback and really interesting from Karina there. I agree with all of her points. And, and I, I don't know whether I didn't um, put the emphasis on this properly last time. I do agree that the, the conversations that she was talking about between the characters were very, very effective in making them look like better characters, more rounded characters. I guess I found them annoying because they were so genuine, and I would have found those conversations annoying or pretentious in real life. Mm. So it wasn't that I was it wasn't that I was knocking the show for the the character uh, quality. It was just so convincing that I was going, oh my god, these are such pretentious teenagers. <laughs> yeah, and uh, as we all know, teenagers come in all shapes, sizes, and flavors. So you know, uh, you win that's some, absolutely. you lose some. Karina yeah, probably comes across all kinds at school. <laughs> I would, I would expect so. But it, it's interesting to get her take as a school teacher on that, that. That yes, it actually was a very genuinely sounding teen conversation. I think that the show's doing quite well at capturing that voice more often than not which is which is hard to do yeah well it's interesting talking about teachers here one third of the proctor who podcast is uh craig stimson and he is a school teacher a high school teacher in real life and he has commented on the proctor who podcast about how he really likes class because the characters feel realistic and the issues aside from the monsters of course yeah. uh, feel feel quite realistic uh, as to what his uh kids are going through uh the ones he teaches at school too so it's interesting that we're getting some feedback from teachers in different ways yeah no that is and it's a credit to the show i think mm, absolutely 
Now, Jim Cameron's email. Do you have that one to hand? I do, yes. Let's read it out. So from Jim Cameron, Jim, thank you for writing into us. We love to get feedback from our listeners. Great review, fellas, as always. We especially like to get feedback that starts like that. So thank you, Jim. Absolutely. Great, great review, fellas, as always. I spotted the female Eldrad voice too. A nice throwback, but I doubt it was intentional. Yes, the comedy sex scene with the Shadowkin failed badly. But despite this and a couple of other deficiencies you pointed out, this was easily the most gripping of the episode so far for me. The threat of the week was the most original so far, and I too had no idea where the scene of April preparing preparing to kill her terribly acted father was going to go. <laughs> and that edge and unpredictability has been earned by the show thus far. Head teacher and Ram's girlfriend dying, Ram's leg wounds, etc., and makes you feel that anything really could happen. Although Catherine Kelly improves week on week, I can never shake the feeling that she's an actor acting, not a character. But Pookie Quesnel hit the ground running and looks like a very interesting addition to the show. Looking forward to seeing how they wrap this one up in Mordor and on Earth next week. Thanks, Jim Cameron. So, again, thank you, Jim, for sending that in. Some really good points in there. Clearly, he enjoyed the episode a bit more than I did, and that's fine. Um, I think the critique of April's father not being the best acted character on the show is uh, valid. Mm-hmm. Would you agree, Rob? I, I do, but when we get to talking about him in this episode, I think I'll have more to say. I think he was a bit better in this episode. Okay. S- something, uh, though, that I'll pick up on is uh, Jim obviously liked the episode, and uh, I thought it was quite good, too. I didn't mark it higher than the, the previous episode to it, but I thought it was good. You thought it was the, the first sort of dip in the series. Mm. And during the week, I noticed you had read, I think, J.R. Southall's uh, review in Starburst magazine, uh, where he'd had some thoughts, and I don't know whether it was making you rethink, but it was certainly making you consider, at least, you know, some other views. Uh, yep, absolutely. I think having seen some more positive reviews, including JR's, I, I struggled to put down on paper what it was about last week's episode that I didn't work for me. You know, it ticked all the right boxes, and if you would analyse it as, as a written review does, it's very hard to find fault with it it just didn't quite land for me. And so I wonder how much that was just a mood or, or, or whatever. And so I, I will have to go back sometime and have another look at it and see if it works better for me on a second viewing. And it's possible. I mean, there are episodes of Doctor Who where people just rave about them and I just don't see it. And I don't know whether I just it just caught me at the wrong moment or I'm, <laughs> I'm just very different, you know, when it comes to certain topics. I, I don't yeah. know. It, it just happens sometimes, I guess. Yeah, that's right. Alrighty then, shall we rip into episode 5, Bravish Heart? Yes, let's do that. Okie doke. Well, we start off with April and Ram in Mordor. This was the joke I made uh, on the last episode of the show. Jim picked up on it in his letter. And we had a Frodo reference. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did notice. I almost stood up in my in my seat and went, yes! <laughs> I was but I was onto this from the start. It, it was, but a, another very good example of the way that this show is quite happy to draw from other popular culture and then lampshade and go, yes, guys, we know that we're, you know, doing a bit of a Mordor riff here. You know that, we know that. We're not going to pretend we're not. Let's just all have fun. Absolutely. Now, to me, this looked amazing. I think the location of these caves is in Bristol somewhere. And uh, it just looked so much better than trying to replicate this in a set. It looked really fantastic. Did you? What did you think of it? Yeah, I was really impressed. And at first I thought maybe this was just going to be another, 
kooky CGI set, and I'm, I'm never a fan of that. But yeah, as they explored it more and you realise that this was a real place that they then enhanced with CGI, I thought it was the best of both worlds and really, really effective. And I'll tell you what, anybody who's ever criticised Doctor Who for having uh, the lighting up too high can't have any complaints about that here. Oh, no, no. It it was really moody, atmospheric, just fantastic. And, and I think there were some scenes that probably were back in a studio. I think maybe when uh, April is fighting the Shadowkin boss, I think that's possibly a studio then, but it all meshed pretty well. Yeah, no, look, it's certainly... The whole episode looked very, very good. And I think there's a few other points about some other visuals we'll touch on as we go through. Um, I, certainly for me... I'll put it out there this time. I enjoyed the episode more than last time. Oh, good. Uh, I still thought the B-plot or the Earthbound plot was the strength and the Shadowkin plot was the weaker plot. I would actually agree with that. I think these uh, these Blossoms are such a beautiful enemy. You know, I, I found myself, particularly after you had mentioned it in the previous episode that you liked the B-plot more, I was sort of keeping an eye out for it this time. I thought... These beautiful blossoms. Oh, and the way they kill people. Oh, this is fantastic. Yeah. And I, yeah. I did actually like it more than the main plot. Yeah, it's it's a really good concept. It's really original. And and I thought that that was very well done, particularly the desperation that the, the, the characters are feeling. And again, it comes back to that whole thing of you don't have the Doctor to fall back on. And it reminds you how much in Doctor Who, the main series, you kind of know that whatever the twist is going to be and however the companion's involved... The Doctor's going to fix it at some point. Mm. You know, the Doctor arrives, there's bad stuff happening, and explores the world, fixes the bad stuff, they all go home. That's a Doctor Who story. That's right, that's right. It's, it's this, a lot this, more up for grabs here. Yeah, there is, there is. And that that's that's the beauty of class. And I think if it does get a second series, possibly even a third series, that's going to be its strength going on. Absolutely. Now, before we uh, move away from Mordor for the moment, we're going to come back because obviously a lot more happens there. I will just note that they call their world the Underneath. And that was slightly distracting to me because I don't know if you've seen Stranger Things, David. Have you on Netflix? No, I haven't, no. Okay. The the alternate dimension slash world that they go to in Stranger Things is called the Upside Down. So I, I kept having okay. flashbacks to the upside down in Stranger Things and the underneath in, in class. And there's no way it's a copy because obviously these two shows would have been made concurrently. Uh, I just thought it was interesting that two you know new shows coming out this year used the underneath and the upside down to describe their sort of parallel uh, alternate worlds. Interesting. Well, well, let's keep going on the Mordor plot. Um, we might as well explore that while we're visiting. What did you make of the, the whole confrontation with the shadow king king i've made some notes on that and <laughs> in the notes here i've put april's fighting is like luke skywalker in empire strikes back and return of the jedi insofar as she's just swinging wildly and i couldn't tell whether this is, this is hard to describe she's being taken over by the Shadowkin to some degree, she has this um, link to them, so she knows how to heal using their powers, she knows innately, I guess, at the end of the episode, that they have tombs that they can entomb the leader in, she has all this knowledge in her head, she describes what the underneath is to Ram, uh, and so on and so forth, so she has this Shadowkin, she has these Shadowkin abilities, and so you think, well, she should be able to fight really well. <laughs> that she's fighting very clumsily, very clunkily. As I say, like Luke Skywalker in Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, where he's just, you know, making haymakers with his lightsaber. 
And yeah, and okay, I, that's that's interesting. I because I I did sort of note as well amongst a number of things that we'll talk about. I did note the improbability that April would defeat the Shadow Kin King in a single combat. But you're right if you actually do put it through that, particularly Luke in Jedi after Vader's just pushed him that little bit too far. And as you say, he just comes down, just rains down blows. Maybe that, that raw emotional anger was meant to be fueling her and that's how she got there? Or, or are we stretching this and seeing it through a lens that isn't there? Well, I, I think she does have the link to the Shadow Kin, you know? Yeah. So there's got to be yeah. something there. The, the fighting didn't look entirely convincing all the time close up. I think something like Buffy... You know, when Sarah Michelle Gellar's fighting, you think, oh, my God, she's really fighting, whether it's with a weapon or with a fists. Mm. Um, April looked less convincing. When it sort of pulled back to sort of a medium sort of shot, it looked a little better, where, where you couldn't sort of tell all the details of the fight going on. But uh, that's just a small thing. But, you, you know, you asked me what I thought of the fight. I, I just thought it was she was a little clunky, and I wondered how she beat such a such a warrior, the the king of their people. Yeah, and that, so that was interesting. So... Being the sci-fi nerd I am, my mind went straight to the Blake 7 episode, Power, um, where Avon and then later Dana have to fight the chief of the Homics to risk get power over that, that tribe. And I thought, this is just, for a show that really tries to be original and demure from cliche, for them to go down the path of the, if you fight the chief, you get to be the chief fight, I thought that's just too cliche for this show. Class is better than that. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree. And obviously the way she can control the army at the end of the episode as well. Very, very simple. Very easy, you know. Yeah, it all tied together nicely. And I did like it. And it did work. But I thought, you know what, class? This this, this is this is the student you know who's just written their essay the night before, you know? It's a good <laughs> B+, plus, but we you can do better. Yes, now, April's dad, we mentioned him a moment ago, and I said I'd have things to say. So while we're, while we're still in Mordor, I thought his speech when, when he crosses through to Mordor was really good. The way he said to April when she's got the Shadowkin leader down on his knees, you know, you've got all these superhero powers, and the first thing you did was heal your mum. You know, that's who you are. You know, you're not this mm. killer. You're not going to do this. And I thought this was acted really, really well. I thought he was acting immeasurably better than in the previous episode. Yeah, absolutely, and and the, the the scene where he is going to jump through the rift, and Ram's dad goes through first, and you can see you can see him portraying the the feelings of the character in that I'm terrified, I don't want to do this, I'll probably end up dying, but I can't not go save my daughter. I want to save my daughter. Plus, the other dad's already done it, so I'm going to look really really crap if I don't do it too. And he played all those mixed emotions and that sheer terror. Quite well, I thought. Yeah, and, and obviously the funny moment as, as Ramstad had simply stepped through the rift and yeah, <laughs> April's dad right. took a flying leap and just landed on his face, you know, maybe 30 centimetres into the into the Shadowkin yeah. world. Yeah, no, I did I did quite like that. And you're right, he, um, he, I know. he did a better job. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's still the cliched, you know, dad who the mum and the daughter don't like and all of that sort of stuff. But But I thought it was just better acted this time around. Yeah, and I still think that he was playing, he was playing a melodrama, in a slightly more serious show. I don't think he ever quite felt like he was in the same show as the other characters. Oh, very interesting. Anything else while we're in Mordor? Look, it looked great. the The concept was a bit cheesy, but it pulled off well. But I will just repeat my comment: 
the Shadowkin voices are annoying to follow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and again, after you said it in the previous episode, this time around I was watching with, with my thoughts on that, and I thought, oh, yeah, they're actually more annoying than I thought they were. So thank you for that, David. Yeah, just, 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 just speak clearly, guys, and that's your words. <laughs> All right. Um, back on Earth, uh, I guess it starts off with an interesting conversation, Quill and Dorothea. And Quill even straight out says to her, are you this unit? To which Dorothea says, we're far more modest than that. Yeah, so this was a really good example of, well, let me say first, all of the various plot threads of the series were moved forward considerably in this episode, but not as far as I thought they were going to be at the halfway through point. And this was a really good example of that because we learned a lot of what the governors are not, Mm. but we actually didn't learn anything more about what the governors are. Yes. Now, this is this is quite interesting because it goes back to a promo shot that came out the, the week class launched. And it's one I actually highlighted on social media, either Facebook or Twitter or somewhere like that. It's a, fa- it's a, it's a promo shot of Charlie and he's standing next to the Coal Hill sign. And underneath Coal, the Coal Hill name, it says, Sponsored by Ever Upward Reach. And I said at the time, what what's this Ever Upward Reach? Is this going to be like the big bad behind things is this going to be part of the plot and obvi- i remember you saying that yeah 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 and obviously it is and when pookie quesnell as dorothea does the line it, it comes across slightly garbled because she says when ever upward reach took over it installed new governors but because she says when ever as the first two words it sounds like whenever upward reach took over it installed new governors oh uh, yes you, you don't quite hear that she's, she's trying to say when ever upward reach took over so mm. it is this this uh mysterious i don't know whatever upward reach must be it sounds like a i don't know kind of a cult or something <laughs> yeah it does a little, it's a little bit jonestown isn't it mm. you know what what is ever upward reach well if you if you're reaching up what are you reaching up for is it for the betterment of the human race is it for the betterment of only certain kinds of people uh what could that be you know is it all in the name well, the way she was describing it, uh, my mind went to the movie Kingsman, which was out about a year ago, which had that secret organisation that went and dealt with British enemies that the government couldn't deal with. Did you see that one, Rob? I haven't. I really want to, and I know they're making a sequel to it as well because oh, it was yeah. quite popular, so I, I should catch it. Yeah, no, do. It was, a, it was a very good movie, and I'm sure that this will be nothing like it, but that, that did sound very, very similar in terms of a concept. So we know that they're not unit which is good. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we still don't know who they are. Yeah, and I mean, we've had Tanya trying to hack Unit in early episodes. Was that just a, you know, just to mislead us a bit? You know, that the show acknowledges that Unit exists, but they're not actually mm. going to show up in this show. The, the people behind it in this show are ever upward reach. It would be interesting, and I don't think it would happen, but it would be interesting one day if there was an episode where Unit did actually turn up and we got to see Unit operating from the perspective of civilians. So the kids think that something's going on and suddenly these unit people rock up and do things the unit way and then all disappear and the kids are like, we're not sure what to make of all that. That could actually be quite an interesting little plot. It would be. It would be. And, you know, the, as you say, there are still questions about both Ever Upward Reach and also how do the governors from Ever Upward Reach know about the Cabinet of Souls at all? Mm. Yes, Either they are 
earth-based but incredibly well-resourced, like incredibly well-resourced, or they're not earth-based. Yeah, well, I mean, they know about the thing in Quill's head. How do they know about that? Only Charlie would, would have known about that originally. Um, there are no other survivors. Or is that the twist? There are other survivors. Ooh. How about that for a thought? Okay, I hadn't thought of that. I like that one. That could be a twist. Yeah, well, I mean, they have to know from somewhere or someone, surely. Mm. All right, well, there's some certainly some mystery there, but whatever you say about who they are, they were clearly very keen, obviously, to save the world. So that brings us to uh, the petal threat. Yes, and again, such a beautiful enemy. All these... I like those kinds of blossoms. They're almost like cherry blossoms or something, just the, the colour and such. And uh, mm. I think they're so pretty, and yet they're killing mm. people. This is great. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is. It's, it's really inventive, and I'm, I'm very happy with that. My only slight criticism was that the threat only ever felt local. Yes, and didn't seem to kill that many people. Like we had the student run up and sort of smash against the... Well, I assume it was a student run up and smash against the glass at one point and was all bloodied and dying. Mm. But it wasn't like mass mass hysteria, people dying all over the street, you know. Yeah, so had had the blossoms spread beyond shortage or was it still contained a shortage but was reaching a critical mass where they would start to expand over the UK? I don't know. I'm still not quite sure about that. But, look, that's only a minor criticism. It was so well executed. And let's have a chat about the um, the graphic de- depiction of the bodies. Well, I mean, what, what, what can you say? It's, uh, the show doesn't back away. It's not, it's not your father's Doctor Who. It's not Doctor Who. Yeah. Oh, no. Um, I, mean, I mean, they didn't show anything that we haven't seen in, say, Indiana Jones. But Indiana Jones was a movie, and it was the 80s. And I've noticed that whilst TV shows now are a lot happier to talk about sex than they were 30 years ago, they're a lot less comfortable talking about violence and and horror than they were 30 years ago. So it really stuck out in this day and age, in 2016, that that display, particularly the second body where the whole you know skin and hair and everything had clearly been eaten away and you were down to the, the flesh on the skull, mm. that was really well done. And I think quite unusual for, for mainstream TV these days. Yeah, look, and it, it carries across into the fiction as well. I know we're not going to be reviewing... Um the books on this episode but i've started reading one of the uh, the books of class joyride oh yes and it starts off with some very 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 gory graphically described uh moments i won't spoil it for anyone but mm. even even the fiction is going down that route i can tell you it's like is this a young adult novel oh my god well young adults uh, young adults are i think tougher than people give them credit for in fact i think even kids are tougher than they give them credit for. And it's fascinating that, to, to go off on a tangent for a moment, stuff that we would have watched as kids growing up in Australia on the ABC from the Hinchcliffe years, that would just have gone out at six o'clock on the ABC without anybody batting an eyelid. I now know I've got friends who have kids now and they're going, oh, I wouldn't show my kid that DVD until they're a bit older. And I'm going, but we watched it when we were eight. It was just on TV at six. <laughs> yeah, true. But... but but, but I know a lot of people, and it's not just in one group of friends, it's across the way, they won't show their kids stuff that they watched at that age. They're a lot more sensitive about it. Do you know, maybe it's because of the world around us. Uh, when we were growing up, you know, you'd see someone get shot in the guts and the squib or whatever they call that effect would, would 
explode blood out of their stomach. And we go, oh yeah, well that that's just fantasy. That's that's you know that's not real life. And you mm. know because real life wasn't perhaps like that. But now we have people getting shot, drive-by shootings, and all this sort of stuff. Life is a little more closer to that. Maybe maybe that's why people feel that way. I don't yeah. know. I don't have kids. No, no, me either. So um, I don't know. I mean, my cat's quite happy to watch whatever I watch, and she's only two. So. <laughs> Well, my cat is uh, 16, and uh, he, he watches it from time to time, but sometimes he's a bit indifferent, so I'm not sure whether he doesn't <laughs> like it or, or he's just got better things to do. Oh, if it's a typical cat, it really does like it, but it doesn't want to show you that it does. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah, look, look, very graphic, but the way that they show that this was a threat was great. Like People actually were shown suffering, dying, on a small scale, though. But then the A and the B plots came together in what I thought was quite effective in a way that I didn't expect to happen. Okay. Um, well, before we get to that, uh, before the uh, the folks from Mordor return, and I, I have a few things to say about different aspects of that, yep. uh, Charlie's dilemma as to whether to use the Cabinet of Souls at all or not, there's a, there's a lot of lead up to this. And I found Matthias was less preachy, less angry this time around perhaps more like I thought he should have been in the previous episode. I, mm. I flagged last time, he, he, he sort of came on very strong, like, you know, why are you like this? Why are you doing that? Ah, you know. This time around, he was sort of more understanding, as I say, less preachy, less angry. I, I kind of like Mateus's attitude towards the, the Cabinet of Souls this time around, even though his attitude hadn't changed at all, just the way it was played sort of came across differently. Yeah, I, I agree. I actually wrote very, very similar notes. I found that that whole interaction and build-up with Charlie's decision was very, very well done, despite the fact that the whole way through I'm saying to myself, look, it's episode five. They're not going to use the cabinet today. I, I know this this show has done things we haven't expected from time to time, but I can't see them doing the cabinet thing until at least episode eight, if not never. But it was very well acted. Um, Greg Austin did a very good job. And I want to talk a bit now but about Jordan Renzo as Matthias, because you're right, I thought he was much better written this episode, he was much better acted this episode, but is it just me or does he look five years older than the other kids? Like, is he the one you just can't believe is a kid? Oh, I don't know, Charlie, you know, with that uh, that part in his hair looks <laughs> looks pretty old as well. Yeah, that's true. I do know what you mean, though, he does look a, a step removed from them again, you know. Yeah. Um, which is a shame because he's, he's quite a capable actor. He's doing very well with the role. But again, he's such a part of this uh, Scooby gang that, you know, he's the one that came up with the idea of using the Shadow Kin to defeat the pedals and he texts it through and he gets all that moving and he's he's more than just a main character's boyfriend. He's an active part of the Scooby gang, mm. yet he's not been in the publicity. He's not billed build as such on the show. That seems really odd to me. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, you know, we've we've spoken a few times about the theory that, you know, there are sometimes people who are built up to be killed off later on. Mm. Uh, I think he'll make it through all the episodes this series. As to whether he makes it out of the series, though, I'm, I'm not so sure. So I don't know whether that's why they're sort of holding him back, because they know he gets bumped off maybe at the end of the series. I don't know. Well, maybe, but clearly from the preview, he's going to have a equal role in episode six to the other major cast members so with the exception of episode two which i don't think he was in he's basically been on level footing with all of them for five of the first six episodes yeah yeah and and he's an interesting character he, he is slightly different to 
the others. Um, yeah, and clearly, based on his accent, and he, he made it implicit today that he's Polish. Yes, so uh, with, there's a tick with, for our episode. Yep, and quite a, quite, a, quite a lovely little line and moment, actually, I thought, uh, when he does disarm her and takes the gun off her. So he clearly has actually grown up in Poland, and if he's 18-ish now, that means that he would have grown, been born around the turn of the century, mm-hmm. which would have been the point where the Eastern Bloc was coming out from under communism. It would have been about, what, 10 years after the fall of communism in Poland? I would say, yeah, roughly, yeah. Rough, roughly. I mean, we're, we're going ballpark figures here. So I guess that, you know, living under communism would have been at the forefront of his childhood, and certainly his parents would have been very much a part of that world and talked to him about it, and they've clearly chosen to leave Poland for Britain and all that. So, so I get why the character maybe has seen the world differently to how a British kid would have. Mm. Mm. And, and I think that comes across really, really well. It does. It's just a shame he looks about 30. But I can't find Jordan Renzo's date of birth on the internet. I had a quick look before we did this, and it's not on IMDb. It's not on any of the wikis, so maybe they're hiding it from us. Yes, maybe it's like Luke Perry uh, when Beverly Hills 90210 first started. No one could really find out his birth date because he was about 25 playing 16 or whatever it was. (laughs) Maybe, maybe. But, yeah, well done to him. All right, so we're going to talk about the A and the B plots coming together, and I guess that's precipitated by the people returning from Mordor. Now, just something I want to flag, it's only a small thing, but there is this really strange edit when they return from Mordor, because April's dad returns and sticks his hand in a huge bunch of petals, and he holds up his hand, he's like, ah, he's in major pain, he's bleeding, but no one helps him. And it cuts to April saying, oh, what, what's happening here, you know, kind of thing. And then everyone's kind of relatively calm and the dad's forgotten about. The scene cuts away, cuts back to them and everyone's just chatting. And I'm thinking, what, what's happened to the dad? And yeah. we, we come back, we cut away, then we come back a third time to that group. And the dad's there, he's holding a, his hand, it's slightly hurt, but, but that's all. That was just, I think something's been cut there, you know, like, because <laughs> he yeah, goes I, from I, being I, under I attack to, to not... Yeah, I got that feeling as well. That that just seemed a little bit odd. Um, and it could well just be a cut for time thing, I suspect. I would say so. I just wanted to flag it. You know, I noticed. You noticed. Yep. <laughs> okay. So they return from Mordor. The A and the B plots have come together. You have some thoughts on this. Uh, look, it was good in that uh, my mind was totally taken up by the dilemmas within the two plots. So was Charlie going to use the cabinet to deal with the petals i didn't think he would but if he didn't how are they going to get out of it and all the decisions that went around that and on the other side was april actually going to defeat the shadow king kin shadow kin king that's a really bad title for that guy can't he be the chief or something um we'll just call him the chief from now on right um, <laughs> um so I, I was engrossed in how those two plots were going to resolve themselves and so I missed the option that they would resolve themselves by, you know, linking together mm. and one would resolve the other. So that did catch me by surprise. I was getting really tense that Charlie was going to, I know this seems silly in, in retrospect, but Charlie was going to waste the, the souls in the cabinet because April had already taken them down and then he was going to release the souls and they would have nowhere to go or nothing to do. Um, okay. Again, it seems silly in retrospect, but I just for for a moment that was actually making me feel tense that he was somehow going to waste 
the uh, the weapon, and it, and it wasn't going to do mass destruction because there'd be nothing to do mass destruction to, but then it would be wasted, um, you know, and, and what feelings that might bring up and, and such. Obviously, it didn't happen that way, but that, that was how I was feeling in, during now, those scenes where we're cutting from one to the other. It's interesting. I, I did also feel the tension of the scene, uh, not because I thought he would use the cabinet, but because I thought, how were they going to get out of this if he didn't? So it was a different kind of tension for me, but clear, clearly the scene worked as a piece of drama and a piece of fiction for both of us. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and can I just say, just when Charlie is almost about to, to unleash the cabinet, did you notice the... Uh, well, Quill makes this really good speech uh, to him, and then she puts his, her hand on his shoulder. And it's almost loving. Um, it's very supportive, like... You know, we come from the same planet, we both hate each other, but by God, you've got to do this, and I'm supporting you doing it. And it's part of me continuing to really like Quill as these episodes go on. I thought that was a, a fantastic moment. I thought it was a great moment, but I didn't see it as supportive. I saw it as manipulative. Ooh, okay. And for the but, 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 but like you, I really enjoyed Quill in this episode. And she has, she has improved a little bit every time. And I'm interested to see if our listeners think the same thing, but she was very, very believable in this one from her actions, from her speeches, the way that she was betraying uh, the governors right through to her just absolute annoyance and fury at the end about what's gone down and how she herself was being manipulated. Mm-hmm. Very, very well done. Yeah. I mean, I think we both agreed she was very overplayed in the first couple of episodes, but since then she's been coming on and coming on. And even the scene at the very end where there's this rock and roll soundtrack and she starts smashing up this uh, Chrysler PT Cruiser yes, <laughs> and yes. Dorothea comes out and says, oh, you know, that's not my car. <laughs> it it was just really funny and solid and it didn't feel cheesy or try hard at all. I don't know whether I'm just getting used to her or not, but I, I actually really enjoyed that scene. Yeah, I did too. I did too. Yeah. Now, speaking, uh, obviously, of Dorothea and Quill, um, the deal is still on. She says, come and see me Monday about getting that thing out of your head. So is Quill going to be unleashed? Yeah, that's interesting. But do you believe a word Dorothea says? Well, indeed. Indeed. Something we haven't mentioned, uh, even though we've been talking about the A and the B plots, part of the, uh, well, I guess what was happening back on Earth, April's impossibly young mum. Um, uh, April's uh, amazing powers uh, continue to work even though the link with the Shadowkin is broken and her mum can walk. Now I've I've learned something very interesting about this and I I don't know if uh, you or even the people listening know this. The lady playing her mother, Shannon Murray is the actress's name she is actually paralysed in real life. Oh no I didn't know that. Yes. And Patrick Ness was tweeting, um, he tweeted, I've, I've jotted this down, Class 5 Epfax, some amazing effects in this episode, but some amazing invisible ones too, the new things you can do with digital. And I'm pretty sure what he's referring to there is making April's mother stand up is a CGI uh, trick, essentially, uh, because the, the actress truly is paralysed. So the scenes where we see feet moving and such, I think that's just a stand-in body double. But yeah. when she stands up... That's uh, that's a CGI, I, I, I presume a CGI body, or maybe it's a real body and they've put her head on with CGI or something like that. So I thought, I just thought that was very, very interesting. Oh, that is interesting. And, and while we're there, how did you feel about the little homily that she gives at the end of that scene about how 
disabled disabilities aren't a problem and you shouldn't assume that everybody's desire is to get their uh, ability back and all that sort of thing. What what did you think of that little bit? I thought this has to be there because it has to be said because there will be yeah. disabled folk in the audience who see a disabled person magically get to walk again and yeah. they will feel a certain way about that. Uh, that said, I wondered how the actress might feel about it playing a character who can get over her disability like mm. that. Um, that that must feel very strange as well. So it, it had to be said, although as she was saying it, I was thinking, I know why she's saying this and it's not because of the plot. Yes. So it made it kind of funny. But again, it absolutely had to be there. It just took me slightly out of the story. Yeah, I, I'm exactly with you. I appreciate exactly why it had to be there. I agree it had to be there. But it, it was like the story paused for 30 seconds to put the the message of the weekend, and that's always a shame. Yeah. Uh, anything else to say about the episode before we get down to some individual characters? Uh, no, I've covered my key points. Okay. I've made a note here that Tanya was very shouty in this episode, especially at adults, and this might fulfil some teenage fantasies to see a kid shouting at authority figures and adults in general. I do tend to think, though, in reality, the adults might have just told her to shut up and pull her head in. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't get a lot out of Tanya in this episode, I have to say. I I don't think that she really had anything to do in this episode, and I think in the ideal circumstance she actually just would have stayed home in this episode. But because it's a uh, you know gang show, the gang has to all be there, so she had to be there and she had to have a couple of lines. But if you took Tanya out of this episode, would anything change? Nothing at all, no. She was just she was just shouty, and then I think at the end, I think she threw in a line like, oh, good thing my mum wasn't here, you know, and it was just like the end of a Scooby-Doo episode or something. It was just like <laughs> completely not needed. You're absolutely right. She didn't need to be there. Uh, April, who I, I love in the show, it's been my favourite character from the first episode, I do think she's better when she's acting tougher. Um, all the scenes, particularly with Ram when they're in Mordor, I thought were fantastic. Then towards the end when she becomes herself again, she sort of becomes weaker and less of a character. <laughs> it's like, oh, I like the tougher April. But uh, the final scene, though, with the dad was pretty solid, where, you know, the dad's sort of hinting that he'd like to see him again soon, and she's saying, maybe, you know, and leaving leaving it very uncommittal. Uh, I thought that was pretty good. Uh, I, I, really like, I really liked April in this. I actually liked her back when she showed her humanity at the end more than the other stuff, which is interesting. Uh, and I particularly liked the way that she handled the confrontation with her father at the end. It wasn't nasty or vicious, but it was heartfelt. Mm, I agree. Ram, although he got to run around Mordor a lot, didn't have a lot to do. It was very much an April episode. Um, he did have some good lines. Though. I, I, I jotted one down, obviously, because April is now the king of the Shadowkin. He says, Charlie will be pissed that you outrank him now. <laughs> <laughs> that just made me laugh out loud and smile. It did, but I have to say at this point, I was very glad that they did end that whole King of the Shadow Kin thing quickly because I thought, oh my goodness, if one of them's going to be a prince of an alien race and now the other's become a king of an alien race, this is just getting a little bit too far from a bunch of teenagers. So the fact that they ended it very quickly and said, nope, she's not the king anymore, it's all over. Um, she's still linked, but back, she, she's, she's back to where she was in episode three. Yeah, and of course, I was, I was glad about that. Before the shadows disappeared, it was like, oh, one more thing, destroy the link on the way through. So, 
Presumably mm. they don't come back, or do they? I don't know. Well, they're back. I, I, I took it as they're back to where they were in episodes two and three after the after the opening. So, I think they're basically back to where it had been left after the Doctor left. True, and they've left the King alive, albeit in the tomb. Yes, I I, I was honestly wondering during the course of the episode. Oh, are they going to wrap up this this series arc? in episode five and then go on somewhere else, which which is perfectly valid to do. Babylon 5 would wrap up uh, long-standing arcs mid-season all the time. Mm, yeah. And then when they pulled back and the king was entombed rather than defeated or rather than killed, I thought, actually, nope, they're leaving it open to have this come back. So I still expect to see them in the big finale. Okay. Any other thoughts on uh, characters in this episode before we wrap up? No, I think we've covered all of my points quite well, actually. Oh, good one. Well, next time, in the uh, brief little next time we get, we see the school getting smashed up. We see a strange rock. It looks like when you pick up the rock, you have to confess how you feel. It looks like some characters are telling each other what they think of each other. And that's about all, aside from Charlie looking quite angry. Is this maybe where he loses it, like I predicted way back in episode one of our show? Yeah, I saw the preview and I actually thought I've seen this episode of Dawson's Creek before. (laughs) There's a a quite well-known, for those who watch Dawson's Creek, it's quite one one of the sort of more memorable ones. There's an episode where they're all in a classroom and there's lots of confessing going on and lots of uh, character things are moved forward in in this big sort of classroom-bound episode. So I thought, no, this is going to be Dawson's Creek. I look forward to finding out if I'm right or wrong. Are you looking forward to what they reveal to each other? Not desperately, no, I have to confess. Um, As we've discussed before on this, I enjoy this show when it is being original, it's being sci-fi fantasy, and it's getting on with the plot. I enjoy this show less when it's teenagers being angsty to each other. Mm. Now, we've had before Next Time trailers be quite... Not deceptive, but very cagey in what they show, and and you don't always get what you expect. But if this trailer is true to what the next episode is going to be, it does look like five teenagers in a room being very angsty to each other for 40 minutes. Mm, maybe. I hope it's not. and I, I doubt it would be, but it might be. <laughs> well, we, as I've said earlier, we've had now some uh, some April episodes. We've had a Tanya episode. We've had a Ram episode. Maybe this is just an episode where all of them get a, a bit of a chance to shine. That might be nice. Yeah, it, it could well be. It could well be. Or maybe it's a Mateus episode. Indeed. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, in terms of a score out of 10, I think I went first last time, so I, I might hand that over to you. Okay, so I've been playing around with my score all morning i'm going to give the mordor plot a seven Mm -hmm. but i'll give the petal plot a nine so that averages to an eight but the resolution did work very well and the characters are all improving so i'm going to give it a bonus 0.5 on top and give it an 8.5 wow Wow, that that's really impressive after you gave the previous episode six (laughs) yeah I, i i thought that this this was greater than the sum of its part. Excellent, excellent. I am sticking with what I gave the previous episode, which is an 8. I give it for different reasons, because I think in some ways this was a better episode, but in other ways there wasn't quite some of the things I saw in the previous episode, so without going into a whole 
new discussion of that now that we're at the end of the episode. I'm just sticking with an eight. Um, one thing we spoke about during the week on social media is we may actually reevaluate all our scores at the very end when we can see the full spectrum of class and say, well, that if that was an eight, well, I couldn't have given that a seven and so on. So we, we may come back to these scores in our last episode. Yeah, I, I think I think we should. And subject to my fairly busy schedule over the next three weeks, I may try and revisit a couple of them as well. Uh, episode two and episode four are ones that I would like to perhaps see again in context and see if they work better. I may or may not have time to do it. All right. Well, what about you folks out there? If you have any thoughts, please drop us a line on social media, on Twitter at The DW Show, on Facebook.com forward slash The DW Show, or write to us, you know, that old school email thing at hello at the net. All right, David, I shall see you next week for more class. Yes, let's um, go get on our teenage angst, or not. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. Well, there's the bell. The show's over. You've been listening to The Doctor Who Show Presents Class, the podcast where Rob and Dave from The Doctor Who Show review the new BBC series Class week by week. If you like what you heard, why not tell a friend? Why not visit our website at www.thedwshow.net or drop us a line. We're on Twitter at The DW Show, facebook.com forward slash The DW Show and email hello at the dwshow.net. Of course, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or listen to the episodes through the website. The Doctor Who Show and all of the programs on our feed are by fans, for fans and are also free. That means free of charge and also free of adverts. We'll see you next time.